Hello, hello. This is Rachel Amaday, and you are listening to the Spiritual Exercises podcast. I am happy to be with you You here this Monday. It's a beautiful Monday in Colorado, um, and I am excited today because we are going to be talking about things that are surprising that are in the Bible that a lot of people overlook or don't study, and I want to point these things out to you because they are unbelievably important, especially for our culture today. And it's one of the reasons I strongly, strongly believe and advise that all of the law, all of the word of God is good for teaching and instruction, just like Paul said. By the way, the ancient Hebrew ideal idea about the law is that it was called teaching and instruction. These are the teachings and instructions of God. And so we need to study the teaching and instruction of God, especially if we wanna know and understand how to have good answers for the culture and how to be able to prove it with scripture. We're gonna get into that in a second, but I did wanna make a quick note that tonight and tomorrow are the last days, um, it's the last day, I should say, of Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. And I want to encourage you to take this time to thank the Lord for all that he's done for you in the last year, for whatever it is you've brought in, whether it is monetary, whether it is friendship-wise, whether you've built new community, whatever you've brought in this year, recognize that it is by God's grace and by his um, goodness and his outpouring that we have what we have, that we even have breath and that we have the opportunities we have. And so this is a great time of year to be grateful, but to also look forward to the day when Christ will return and we will enter into his rest and he will reign on the earth and we will have a time of peace and to be able to learn directly from our savior in a very physical way, which is very exciting that that's our future. And that's what we celebrate at this time of year, the idea that God is tabernacling with us. So please, please take some time to observe this tonight and tomorrow. Tonight and tomorrow are a Sabbath. And so if you can, um, and you should plan for next year on this day, not to work, but to spend time with the Lord, to spend time outside, um, to build your sukkah. There is a wonderful wonderful sermon on this I just listened to that talks about this command to build an outdoor dwelling and what that really represents. And they would hang fruit, you know, and leaves and all of this represents um, different aspects of our relationship with the Lord, you know, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of what God is producing in us. And so there's beautiful representation about these practices. I would encourage you to head to Leviticus 23 and read about the Feast of Tabernacles um, and multiple other locations in scripture. This comes up. We even see Yeshua going to the Feast of Tabernacles in the New Testament and declaring who he is at that feast. So a lot to be grateful for right now. I'm just grateful I'm here. It's been a really challenging year. Um, honestly, I've, <laughs> I've considered how in the world am I going to get all of this done and still do this thing I'm passionate about, which are these podcasts. And um, God is providing. Uh, every day is kind of a different day, a new day, a different challenge. And at the end of the day, I can honestly say it is by the grace of God right? And some days when I want to 
have meditation and have all this time and quiet and prayer and thought, God has told me time and again, sometimes spending time with your children and doing that work is your meditation. Sometimes that is exactly where God wants you to be. And if you commit your time to the Lord, right, he is faithful. So remember, if you're in a busy time or a challenging time or you're you're looking at difficulty, if you are in the Lord, if you dedicate your time and what you do to him, he will expand it. He will bless it. He will help you. Um, he is there. So you're not alone. And on that note, if you have any prayer requests, please send them my way. I, I pray and I am happy to pray for you and keep you in mind because I know people are struggling right now. We have some challenges. Now, we have some major cultural challenges. And here is how I see these sorts of debates go online. And I apologize. I know it sounds like there's a lot of noise in the background because there is a lot of noise in the background. Um, my studio is not completely soundproofed just yet. Hopefully that will be happening soon. And we've got construction going on outside. <laughs> so this is the time I can do this today because we do have the Sabbath coming up. Uh, so this is happening. Um, but here's okay. So here's how I see debates go online when it comes to some of the issues we're going to discuss today. So let's say you're talking about um, gender identity before the Lord, or we could even make it easier. How do you deal with theft? Okay, let's you know, and and to the believer, it's like, well, there needs to be restitution, right? And you need to pay pay back to society, and and you know, we have all these great ideas that we think are probably accurate and true. However, we have no idea the specifics where those specifics come from, and so we just generalize, and you know, it's wrong to steal, or you know, sometimes some people will bring up the Ten Commandments, which is very broad, and it's very broad for a reason. It's foundational, but you know, thou shalt not steal. Okay, you couldn't steal, but what? How are you supposed to repay that? How are you supposed to deal with that when it happens? And Christians will have their ideas, but they will never be able to reference Scripture because they don't know that in the law there are details about how to deal with theft. And so then you have, let's say the atheists come along and they're like, well, where did you get that from? You can't just say that just because Jesus says, you know, be kind and love each other. I mean, where's the definition of that, right? Um, or or even the, the believer, well, you don't really have to, you know, we should just forgive the the person who, who stole and, you know, we should just let them have everything. And, you know, you, you have all these ideas and, and Christians enter the foray they enter the fray absolutely unprepared to have the conversation because they have no idea that the Bible actually gets specific about some of these things and actually tells us straight up what God thinks and how God thinks we should deal with it. And the reason Christians don't know these things is because the Christian church has said that pretty much, for the most part, only the Ten Commandments are still valid. And everything else Jesus somehow nailed to the cross or some weird doctrine like that that doesn't actually exist in scripture. I talk about this in my book. I think I prove it pretty well in my book that the scripture does not say this anywhere. That Paul, when he's talking about sin being, you know, or was talking about laws being nailed to the cross, he actually is talking about the law of sin and death. And that law actually is the law that basically states that because sin came into the world, there's death. I mean, it's a law. It's, an, it's a principle that we now live under, right? And so Jesus actually took on all sin when he was on the cross. I was talking about this with my family lately. The moment of the cross is so incredible. 
Because not only did he have to, you know, spill his blood to be a covering for us so we could be in God's presence without being killed, but in that moment spiritually, he took on all sin. He took on the entire curse of sin and it died with him. And then he proved that he could conquer sin when he rose from the grave. And because we get his DNA now when we come into him, we now have the power to conquer sin in our Savior. Okay, this moment is so incredible. He nailed sin and death. Sin and death is what died on the cross. And then Yeshua, when he rose, he showed that he had conquered it. He had killed it and that he had come back, that he was the route to conquering this thing. And so, you know, we have no place in scripture, though, where any of the law is done away with. Not one place will you be able to ultimately show that. And it's a good thing. And believe me, when you see some of what I'm gonna show you that's in the law, you're gonna praise God and say it's a good thing too because you want these things. If you're a believer, you believe these things that I'm about to show you and you want to know where they exist. And if they exist in the law, you cannot in one breath say the law is done away with, but I do believe that God likes this one. That's not how that works, right? God either wrote all of it and loves all of it or do away with all of it. You don't get to pick and choose. And so, you know, we have, we have to deal with that. And we should find these great nuggets that are in the law that back us up when we say as believers, we should believe these things. And here's where they exist in scripture. You must believe all of scripture in order to actually advocate that way. But once you know it, you can advocate that way. And I think it's super helpful, especially when, maybe not so much when you're dealing with the atheist, because on paper, you got to show the atheist how these things work in real life, and they do work in real life. But especially when you're debating other believers on specific issues, what if the Bible actually does direct us? So let's dig into some of these beautiful gems that we find in scripture that are outside of the Ten Commandments. We're going to start in Exodus 22. This is verses two through four. It says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. I love this because this sets a precedent, okay? The precedent is you steal something and you benefit from that theft here. You have to repay five times or four times. You have to repay more than what you took. This is a deterrent, right? For any thief at the time, this would be a heavy deterrent because if you didn't have the money to pay for this, you would have to sell yourself into indentured servitude to pay the person back. And it would take much longer than if you had just figured out a way to get that cow or that ox or sheep yourself, just get one of them because now you're repaying multiple of them. And th these things are valuable. Not to mention the concept of personal restoration, Okay, in our legal system, you know, people steal and they just go to jail and it's just random and the entire society still has to pay. You have insurance companies paying for what was stolen for the people that were the victims. You have society paying for the um, the stay in jail that the criminal has to take. I mean, it is expensive what we do and it's not actually very restorative. But Christ says, God says, I want restorative justice here. You need to pay that person that you stole from back. And you're going to pay them back even more because what you did was wrong and egregious. And 
I think that this is a much heavier deterrent. I don't know how to apply this to our society, except that perhaps instead of just having people sit in jail, there should have to be restorative work done that is repayment. And we should have more options for people to be able to do that and to maybe have this personal interaction with the people that they stole from. Now, that probably isn't applicable across all the situations. But think if you had to look the person in the eye and hand them back five times what you had taken. Think about what could happen in that interaction. It's a beautiful concept. It's completely applicable. It's especially great for teaching children. If you do something wrong to someone, you have to enact restorative justice. It's personal for them. The the concept comes up later in scripture, other places in scripture, go make it right with your brother before you go to the Lord, right? If you've done something to offend or harm, you need to fix it. God cares about our relationship with one another as much as, or maybe even more so than he cares about our relationship with him at times. Because we see that. God says, don't come to me with your bull or with your sacrifice. If you've got a problem with your brother, you go make it right with them first. God loves when we have restorative and beautiful relationship with other human beings. It's really important. Okay, Exodus 22, two through four. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. That's indentured servitude. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Okay, this is interesting. So we talk about self-defense in the home, right? Um, Where do you find that in scripture? Well, you find a little bit of it right here. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, so he's breaking in um, probably at night, okay? And listen, if he's breaking in at a time where he would assume that the person would be home, that probably means, according to Dennis Prager, and I think he's accurate about this, it means that thief is prepared to kill whoever is there. And so you have a right to protect yourself according to the Bible in this situation, okay? So if he's breaking in and you're home and you end up harming that person or killing that person, there's no blood guilt on the homeowner there. But let's say it's during the day and the thief assumes you were out, okay? And so if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt. You might not have to kill that thief in that moment. It might scare you. You might have to, but you you should be careful and use better judgment. Um, A life doesn't have to necessarily end in a situation where that thief wasn't expecting to encounter someone as he was stealing, okay? So... If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft, okay? So that's indentured servitude. You'd have to pay back what you stole. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or sheep, he shall still have to pay double, okay? So in this situation, he's gonna have to, even if the stolen donkey or sheep is found, he still has to double. He has to pay back extra, okay? This is, once again, a great deterrent for this sort of behavior. Exodus 22, 6. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. Well, absolutely. If you've been neglectful, you start a fire and you destroy other people's property, that is on you, 
right? And we like these laws, don't we? We like, we would agree that these laws are righteous and just, that if God came back and he was going to reign on the earth, that we would, we would definitely sign up for, for this type of legal system. So are we going to say that this doesn't exist anymore? That we're going to throw this out? I don't think so. Let's keep going. Exodus 22, 16 through 17. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. Oh, I love this. Oh, boy. So you want to really deter young men from sleeping around or from taking advantage of young women? This is your verse, right? So if a man seduces a virgin, this is a a young woman who's never been with anyone, a young woman who doesn't have a husband yet, a young woman whose father has not given her away yet. And she goes, and especially in society at this time, she does this thing that puts her at risk with a man, okay? And by the way, sex is, and I talk about this in my book, it is way more Um, potentially dangerous for women than it is for men. And it affects women far greater than it affects men. So it makes sense that the Bible is very protective of women in this regard. And that it's constantly telling women, don't do this. You know, there are studies that even show that men's uh, semen, once it enters a woman, it affects her DNA forever. It changes her. That's kind of a big deal, right? You're having like DNA change here. That's a big deal. The Bible says the two become one. That's a big deal. You're shredding your soul when you break up with those people, right? You're giving away parts of you you can never get back. Women have the risk of getting pregnant. Women have a higher risk of getting an STD. Women are at greater risk. And so this verse says to a man, you do this, you're gonna have to pay. And a bride price is probably not a small sum. And if the woman goes to, you know, she goes to her dad and she's like, I will absolutely not marry this guy. I don't want to be with this man. And the father's like, okay, you don't have to. We're not going to make you go be with this guy. And he won't give her away. That man still has to pay the bride price. So this, again, a heavy deterrent for sleeping around at this time. And I kind of like this law. I think this is, men should have to think long and hard about just casually using women. They really should. And in our culture and society, we've stopped making men think that way. We've stopped making women the beautiful, valuable creatures that they are supposed to be. And we've made them into nymphomaniacs. And we've said that women wanna you know, do these things just like men do when we've tried to make women like men. Women are not like men. Sex is highly consequential for women in a way it is not for men. And um, the Bible knew that, right? God is smarter than we are. So the Bible talks about this at length. This little law is a gem in my opinion. Exodus 23, one through three. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Oof, let's break this down. You shall not spread a false report. Oh, Christians, we need to hear this and we need to hear this today. No more lies. No more telling of lies, whether it be about politicians or politics or ourselves. This is something that Exodus 23, this is a law of God. We are not to be spreading false reports about others. 
The next sentence, you shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Think about this, especially among our politicians and our political class, and especially among the media. How many join hands to go and attack and make things up against other people and destroy them in today's culture? And how many would join with a wicked man to be a malicious witness if it benefited them? This is happening all the time. And then we watch it. We pay for it. We support it. This is evil in the sight of the Lord. This is a law. This next one, you shall not fall in with the many to do evil. This basically means don't go along with the crowd that is doing evil. I'm sorry. I'm going to call this out. Christians, if you were supportive of segregating the unvaccinated during COVID, if you were supportive of making them lose their jobs, if you were if you were cutting family off, if you were cutting relationships off, you were joining the many to do evil. This was such a scam. We are finding that out now. I mean, um, some guy in the European Union just interviewed a Pfizer executive. She admitted they never even tested to see if the vaccine would stop transmission. They had no idea if it would. And yet we were all duped and told that if we got vaccinated, then we wouldn't transmit it to other people. It was a lie. It was always a lie. And there were some people who were listening to the Lord God Almighty who knew it was a lie. And they said, this is a lie. We need to have church. We need to sing with each other. We need to still have relationship. We're doing something wrong. And those people were excoriated for so long. And so many people lost work. They lost friends. They, they lost church congregations. This was wickedness and evil. And the Christians who did this, I'm calling people out, Beth Moore, people like Franklin Graham, telling Christians that the way to love others was to put on a mask and get vaccinated when the Lord God Almighty knew otherwise. That was wrong. That was wrong. It was divisive. It was evil. It was against the Lord. And it was doing something popular. And we have now found out that many people were actually paid to do that. But if you were part of that, I'm just going to tell you now, it will go a long way if you admit it and realize that you made a mistake. Because we all do. We all make these mistakes. We do. We just want... We want the challenge to go away. We don't want to deal with how hard things are, right? Sometimes we just want everybody, leave us alone. Okay, we'll do what you want if you'll just leave us alone, right? And and so many people, that's kind of their, was their approach. I don't want to get sick and, you know, I don't want to challenge this and we just need to be nice. We need to seem nice. We just need to do what everybody says is the right thing. They never went to the Lord and asked. And then they joined with the many to excoriate and to persecute others. It was wrong. And here it is in Exodus 23. This is against God's ways. This is a law. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. And I can tell you that this happened because it happened to us. So this is personal for me, personal for my family. This is personal for friends that I have, personal for other people's stories that I know. What happened over the last two years was wrong and Christians participated ad nauseum in it. It did a lot of damage and it was very divisive. And I will tell you this, I love, I love everybody. I don't care what choice you made there. It was your choice. You make your choice there. But I'm not going to be afraid of people. I'm not going to be afraid of other people. And I'm certainly not going to 
um, segregate others, make them feel unwanted, make them feel unloved, banish them from church congregations, banish them from society because I don't like their medical choices. That is wrong. Okay, let's keep going. Nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Ugh, we need to we need to fix our justice system for sure here. And then, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Just because someone is poor doesn't mean that they're acting righteously. Just because someone is rich doesn't mean that they're acting wickedly. You need to see justice and you need to be blind, right? This is it. This is a moment of blind justice, okay? It does not matter what class, what race, what sex. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And this is another example of how God sees. He does not see race, class, or sex. He sees the heart, okay? So this is about the heart. Exodus 23, four through five. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. So if you meet your enemy on the road and they need help, you gotta help. Now you thought love your enemy was only in the New Testament, didn't you? (laughs) Remember love in scripture is always action, right? To love the Lord is to be obedient to him. Love and action go hand in hand. Here we see a law about loving your enemy. You have to help, okay? This um, This is the parable that Jesus tells about the man who is enemies with a Jewish man who has been beaten up and the priest doesn't help him right and the wealthy person doesn't help him but then this enemy helps him okay this this beautiful peril parable in the new testament here it is exodus 23 4 through 5 you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey or of one who hates you lying down under its burden you shall refrain from leaving him with it you shall rescue it with him Ooh, that's good stuff and this is our call you know and again We can go back to the COVID thing. I think a lot of people saw each other as enemies. I will welcome you with open arms no matter what choice you made the last few years. I love you. I do. Welcome you with open arms. But I'm just hoping that other believers feel the same way and and start acting that way. Exodus 23, 9. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Sojourner is stranger, a stranger in the land. This would be our immigrants in this country, people who are strange here, who are new here. We're not to oppress them. Hello, we're not to oppress them. Okay, this is hard. We have a hard issue in the United States with what's going on on our southern border. It's unsafe. There's sexual trafficking and human trafficking. We want to fix that problem. But in our passion for wanting to fix that and not, you know, having less drugs and less sexually trafficked people here, we can't forget that those who are already here, the people in our communities, we need to be kind to them. We need to show them the love of God because we're supposed to remember that we were once strangers in the land of Egypt. That's our heritage too. And we were treated as slaves and we were oppressed. And so we don't want to do that to others. We need to have learned that lesson. You need to care for the stranger among you. Now, that doesn't mean that that you let them walk all over you. That doesn't mean you let them do violence to you. None of that is what it means. It just means that you care for the individuals you come across in your world, in your life. They're there for a reason, and they're there for you to love on and to do the right thing by. 
and to not oppress. We have both sides oppressing illegal immigrants in this country, do we not? We have one side that's trying to use them for votes and, and you know, wants to use them as a political weapon. And we have another side that I honestly believe um, many people on that side want to shut down the border and do things the right way. But then they also, hey, they don't mind the cheap labor. So we've been oppressive. We have been oppressive to the sojourner. We have not done the right thing. What about these hundreds of thousands of children that have now come into our country without actual parents? Where are those kids? We're doing this wrong. We're doing it wrong. And so the believer has to stand up for doing it right. And for the people that you come across, it is your responsibility to care about them. Exodus 31, 12 through 17, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. You know, I wanted to show you this because the discussions about the Sabbath day happen outside of the Ten Commandments as well. So are they only true if they're in the Ten Commandments? Are they also true everywhere else they come up? Gotta answer that question. Are they, is it only true when it shows up in the Ten Commandments, or is it also true here in Exodus 31 and elsewhere when it comes up? Obviously, it's true everywhere it comes up, and it comes up many places, not just the Ten Commandments. And, and frankly, some of these concepts come up multiple times, and each time they're given, there's a new dimension to them, another reason to study the entirety of God's Word and His laws. You know, it says that it's a sign between the nation of Israel and the Lord. You also have to understand, if you love Jesus, you have been grafted into Israel. You have to be. Because the promise in Jeremiah 31, the new covenant promise is given to Israel and Judah. So if you're not a part of those things, that promise isn't even for you. And by the way, if you're not part of Israel and Judah, and um, you don't think any of this applies to you, then Jesus also didn't die for you on the cross. Because he died so that you could be free from the law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death could only hold people accountable who are accountable to God's laws. So if you're unaccountable to God's laws, then that salvation is not for you. Okay, we got to think about this logically. But of course, of course that salvation is for you. Of course you are grafted into Israel. That means the Sabbath day is for you. Okay, Leviticus 18.6 None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, brought up in your father's family, since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother, that is, you shall not approach his wife, she is your aunt. 
You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She's your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. This goes on to talk about the brother's wife, a woman and her daughter or her granddaughters, or taking a woman as a rival wife to her sister while her sister is still alive. It goes on to discuss sex during menstruation or having sex with a neighbor's wife, and then discusses giving children over to Moloch in the same chapter. We like this chapter, don't we? Exodus 31, because we think it's wrong to have sex with your relatives. We think it's wrong when parents sexually abuse their children or their half-children or their stepchildren. That is all covered here. And it's such an abomination that in the same chapter, God brings up people sacrificing their children to Molech. These things are abominable to the Lord. Okay? We like this chapter, don't we? Has this gone? Is this still stand? Is this still a law that we still want to abide by? Absolutely. Of course it is. So has this been done away with at the cross? No, it has not been. We have to take that into account here in Leviticus 18. That's where you find, um, and there's multiple locations where you're going to find the laws that actually pertain to um, sexual relationships with children. Okay, but this is one of those places where within your family, you're not allowed to do that. And then in other places, we have the morality laws of not even touching other men cannot touch other women that are not their wives, other girls that are not their wives. We have all sorts of locations where these things get addressed. And believers don't know this. They don't know this. And so they don't know where in the Bible God forbids this stuff because they can't find it exactly in the Ten Commandments. Well, here's some of it, okay? Know where this is located. Know that this exists. Then we have in Exodus 18, 22, we have this. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal, so, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with. It is perversion. This chapter goes on to discuss how other nations and the lands themselves become unclean by these behaviors, and that the land of Israel actually vomited out the inhabitants who were doing these things. Then in verse 26, it says, You shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean. Okay, so this is such unclean behavior that the land of Israel will vomit people out eventually who are enacting these things. The Bible says the native and the stranger. This means the native Israelite and those who have been adopted in to the tribes, okay, the people who are living among them. That means everybody, okay, anybody who wants to be part of Israel, and we do, these rules apply to you. And so this is where we see the Lord just basically say, there is a way to have relationship. I have given this to you. Outside of that, when you're outside of that a relationship, um, God really hates it. And listen, don't be mad at me about this. This is in the Bible. This You, you either believe the, the Bible or you don't. Either believe in God's word or you don't. This is here. It exists. And for the believers who wondered where these verses are, there's at least this location for you to understand this. Okay? Um, interestingly, in the, in the previous section, there's this discussion of not having sex during menstruation. Okay, so this, um, 
This little law, interestingly enough, we probably don't know all of the reasons behind it, but we do now know scientifically one of the reasons. It's actually bad for women to do that. It actually causes, it can cause endometriosis and other issues. Ladies, you might not know that, but it's it's true. And so this is actually very protective, not only of that time in a female's life, but also female health and wellness. Um, and menstruation, you know, God is a God of life. And menstruation is almost kind of like a mini death that you experience every month. And women, we're supposed to experience this and understand this process. And so we do. It's not always fun, but we do. And um, it kind of, that that's a potential child that you're not having, right? And I know it's kind of a weird concept, but it's symbolic, right? So there's so much symbolism in scripture. And so you're not supposed to mess with blood for a reason, and you're not supposed to mess with death for a reason. And so women actually in the Old Testament um, had those days off, honestly. You know, they were allowed to kind of go out of the out of the community and have that time away. And frankly, I think that sounds pretty great. But <laughs> you know, that's not how we do things in the United States. But when you were in the land of Israel, um, that's something that was done. And probably to the benefit of the of the women who got to enjoy that time um to take care of themselves and to kind of refresh themselves and uh to observe that time separately and differently and frankly with all of the consequences around menstruation i think probably it was good for women as odd as women probably would find it today if you come on if you really think about it it's not a bad deal okay those are just some of the many, many laws you will find in the Old Testament that as believers, you probably were like, where do these things, where do the specifics of how to enact God's word and enact God's law, where do they exist? Well, God has laid them out in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these are good ideas. These are these are just standard in some ways for the laws of our land. A lot of this stuff we already enact, but where did we get it? Where do we get these concepts? Well, there they are in Scripture. And so not only does God say these have not been done away with, but even society has said a lot of these things, we're not going to do away with them. We think these are good. We think these are beneficial to society. And so you have to kind of come to grips with, hey, Jesus didn't nail this stuff to the cross. We still need these laws. We still want these laws. We still want to understand them and understand all the meaning behind them and the symbolism and why God put them in place, because clearly most believers would agree with them. So I think hopefully this gives you just a different view of what's actually in the law. What you think is in the law and what's actually there might be two different things. But when we think about their actual application, we think about how beneficial they are, maybe we can come to understand these things a little differently. And I would encourage you to explore what's there and then explore why it's there and maybe come to your own conclusions. And maybe you have some disagreements with it. Maybe you're angry at it, but it does exist and you have to decide. Is it only the 10 commandments that we abide by or do all these laws still have a place? It's a question worth answering. All right, thank you guys for listening. I'll be back next week.